Hello and welcome to the British Sitcom History Podcast. You're about to listen to part two of our look at Only Fools and Horses, The Grandad Years, the first three series. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you should go back and check that out first because we're halfway through the discussion and we've already talked about the career of David Jason. And we're partway through looking at the specific episode, The Long Legs of the Law. That's the one we're really focusing on. But if you're already up to date, then that's no problem. Let's jump straight back into it and have a look at one of Del Boy's little idiosyncrasies. do get here obviously this is something he does a lot but del boy using his french phrases oh yes now this is interesting because earlier we talked about the steptoe comparison harold's desperate to get out and make more of himself and albert's always holding him back and here's there's a slight difference here in that del boy has pretensions now i don't think he necessarily wants to he he doesn't want out he's happy with his life but the mm. French phrases are a great little example of that pretentiousness. The fact that he always orders a ridiculous drink and it's different every episode. Yeah. Um, Campari and pineapple, please, darling. <laughs> and, and it's just those little affectations that are that, that would not be typical of, you know, an East End market trader. His upwardly mobile affectations. Pretentious. Yeah, and, and the clothes... The clothes he wears as well mm. speaks to that. It's yeah. very much that dress for the job you want, not the job you have kind of <laughs> attitude. He's He's got a monogrammed shirt, you know, there's a Del Boy written on it. He's got a leather jacket or whatever. Like he's got the gold sovereigns. He's, yeah. he's showing his wealth. It's a show of wealth. And in the same way that ordering the drinks in the French, it's a show of sophistication. It's like, oh yeah, sometimes I pop over to uh, Monte Carlo and, and, yeah. and have a couple of drinks, you know. It's that kind of expression. We see this in one of the other episodes we watched. So he thinks he's got his Queen Anne sideboard, and of course it's not. But we end up with this, um, some posh tart, as he, as he describes him. Miranda Davenport, who's an antique dealer. And, you know, there's, there's a big plot contrivance where they're both trying to, trying to get one over on the other. But it's really interesting to see how Del Boy interacts with this, this posh crumpet, you know. Because yeah. he clearly likes her. He likes the... He likes the world that she's part of. He sort of knows. I think. I think he always knows that she's trying to play him and that she's not really interested in him. Like we're supposed to think he's a bit heartbroken, but I don't think he ever really is. But 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 what I liked about that episode was how we see Del Boy's sort of upwardly mobile pretensions, which are so slight. You know, the trotters are on the bottom rung of society, and he just wants that one step up. And she's way mm. too far. She's way too far for him. You know, it's too much of a step. And I think he knows it from the start. I think there's there's a there's an interesting line at some point where he's dressed up, he's ready to go out. And he says, oh, how do I look? And Rodney says, you look like a second-hand car salesman. And he goes, oh, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah, and, and, yeah and because that's, 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 that's good. That's Boise. Yeah. Boise is as good as it gets. Boise's a touch of class. Exactly. That is the purpose that Boise serves, really, particularly in these early series. He is just better off because he's found a trade where he makes a bit of money. Mm. He's got a better car. He's got a better house. You know, he's got the better suit. And that's a realistic leap for Del Boy. Boise is achievable, whereas Miranda Davenport, the antique dealer, who's, you know, was born with a silver spoon in her mouth. That's not that's not his world and never will be. And perhaps that's what Albert Steptoe realizes, whereas Harold never does. But then again, you could make the same argument. Could Rodney escape that with his two GCEs? Maybe. 
Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. And and Del Boy doesn't want him to. Del Boy wants him to, because yes. family's important. He wants him to be part of the family business. And it's something we really see in this episode. Mm. And again, I think it's really on the nose in this episode. Yeah. In that, we, we get the scene later on where they, they end up in an argument. After Del finds out Rodney is indeed going on a date with a policewoman and they're ashamed of him and everything. Mm. I mean, they pretty much say it straight out. Oh, Rodney's flying the nest. He's becoming independent. And Del Boy, as the father figure in this situation, which is exactly what he is, he he has been a father to Rodney for yeah. 15 years. He doesn't want him to fly the nest. But then this is the thing with Del. It never gets it never gets to a point where it's like, oh, well, I don't want him to fly the nest, but I guess he has to. I have to cut the apron string sooner or later. It is always, what can I do to just knock him down to make sure he never has the confidence to leave? <laughs> yeah. And... Grandad is the same as well. Grandad is completely dependent on Dell, hmm. and that's the way Dell likes it. And and Grandad has made his peace with that. Rodney hasn't. But I think perhaps this may be a little too psychoanalytical of these fictional characters. But if you look at Dell's life, you know his mother died, his father abandoned him, and he was left hmm. as the breadwinner and the responsible for all these things. He, he, you know, he doesn't want to be abandoned again. He wants he wants his family oh, yeah. close. The, the, those things are precious to him. I don't think you're reading too much in there at all. I think that's very much in it. I, I think Dell may even say as much in one episode. Uh, mm. He talks about abandonment um, at some point. So yeah, there's definitely that into it. There's there's uh, the very last episode of series three, or yes, Christmas special of series one, yeah. three, where Reg Trotter, their dad, turns up and, and tries to sort of put a wedge through the family. Mm. Um, and and, and I, I, that's a nice one because that's the only time we ever see their dad. But you get enough there to kind of, it really does help you sympathize with Del Boy a lot more. You see where Very he's coming much so. from and you see You see within that episode that dad dad's an do well and he's yeah, the, the, you know, without spoiling the whole episode, you know, he's up to no good. He's trying to separate the family so that he can benefit. You got any money, Rodney? I'll give you my last five of this morning. Dad? You know I'm skinned. Well why didn't you nip Del for a few quid? I can't ask Del for money after what's happened. No, I don't suppose you can. Rodney could. But what you see there is the, the guy who's playing Reg, you know, he's doing a Del Boy impression. He's, you, you're, you're seeing, oh, look, this is how, why Del Boy yeah. is the way he is. He's a jack the lad, et cetera, et cetera. But, but, I mean, charm's the word I keep coming back to. Del Boy doesn't just have more charm than Reg. He has heart. He has love for his yes. family. Whereas Reg is only out for himself. Del is out for the family. And whilst sometimes that might, Rodney might chafe against that. It, you know, Del Boy is not trying to get one over on Rodney. He is trying to look after him. And I think that speaks to what we were saying earlier about Del Boy's character in general. Del Boy would try and diddle you for 80 pence off of a £10 bill. Mm. But if you came to him and said, like, oh, I've broken my leg, I'm not going to be able to work, he'd pay your rent for you. He'd find yeah. some way to sort you out. Like, he'd, he'd help you out if you're his mate, if you're, or you're sure. part of the community. And so that's why he gets away with the, you know, nickel and diming people, <laughs> because he's cheeky Dell. But, you know, he'll see you right. Yeah. And he has got heart. Yeah. And that's obviously the crucial element of the character. So Rodney goes on this day and brings her home. <laughs> yeah. I know, like, Rodney really is a plonker. <laughs> he really is a plonker. Dell, he's brought her home with him. He's done more. <laughs> What's he trying to do to me? Quick, Granddad, hide things. What things? Well, everything, innit? <laughs> he must know that the flat is full of stuff that is at very least a bit dodgy. If not yeah. nicked, then it's, you know, yeah, the du no duty's been paid or, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, 
so why does he do it? But this is the power, of course, of of being horny and just wanting to get your end away. <laughs> yes, very true, very true. I mean, why would you bring back a woman to that flat anyway when your brother and your granddad are just there in the front room? Yeah, yeah, it's hardly a love nest, is it? Uh, but yeah, so he brings back this uh, lady policewoman and uh, she she's, you know, she doesn't sort of immediately go, what's all this gear, you know? But she she seems to be like in on the date. She wants to be there. Yeah, she seems to like Rodney. Delboy goes into panic mode, and this is this. If anything, this is a bit more David Jason than you, we usually see. It is a. It's not smooth and charming Dell. It's slightly panicked and yeah. <laughs> desperate Dell. Yeah. But obviously, it's funny to see our character out of uh, out of sorts. And Rodney just doesn't seem to get <laughs> the danger that he's putting them in. <laughs> he's given her a watch, a hooky watch. He's the, yeah. the, he's given her hooky gin. <laughs> <laughs> And, and Grandad's walking around with a tire in his hand. <laughs> yeah, just... unexplained. Just he's got this motorbike tire that he's walking around with because oh, he was trying to hide it, but he managed to just walk around with it for five minutes. Well, I tell you what, let's just divert again because that is our way. Let's talk about Grandad. Let's talk about Leonard Pierce. Okay, Obviously, yeah. we've we've broken up only fools and horses to the Grandad years. So we know that he very sadly died at the end of series three. Mm-hmm. But let's go back in time and tell me about Leonard Pierce. I mean, the most egregious example of an actor who found fame at the end of his life, you know. This isn't just the first line on his obituary. It's it's the reason he's got an obituary, you know. Sure. It's, yeah. It, yeah. It, he was, but having said that, he was a perfectly good, solid jobbing actor. He was, you know, a bit of an old school classical actor, really a stage actor, theatre stuff. Uh, yeah. He was born in 1915, trained at RADA. Um, he, you know, he worked with the RSC. He worked in the National Theatre with Laurence Olivier. You know, he he was a classic actor, but never a lead. And obviously that comes with fallow times as well, where he was just, mm-hmm. you know, struggling here and there. He'd, he'd actually worked in rep with David Jason way back in, in the 60s at some point. How much older than David Jason was he then? Uh, 25 years. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Well, no, no, it's not okay, is it? Because he's his granddad, not not. His <laughs> yeah, well, he's playing uh, like ten years older than he's supposed mm. than he actually is. He's supposed to be in his seventies, I think. I don't think he's ever specifically said, but there's mention of him gun running during the Spanish Civil War in 1936. But yeah, so uh, Leonard Pierce, uh, by this point in his career, he was ready to retire. Really, you know, he's in his mid sixties, suffering a bit from physical health. He'd been a heavy smoker all his life. Yeah. He? can probably tell from the voice you know i think he'd been a heavy drinker at one point i i think he kind of knocked that on the head but that had been a problem for a while all that sort of classic actor stuff and then just got picked up for this role they needed an old man who could look kind of grimy but is still a good actor and (laughs) and this this was it this was his last few years of his career and gave him much more notoriety and, and fame than he'd ever had before what do you think is the point of Grandad then in this character? Again, I, and I know I keep making this comparison to Steptoe, but clearly in that you've got the two characters working together. And I think mm-hmm. they do map onto Delboy and Rodney well. So what does Grandad bring to the dynamic? Um, having your Grandad living with you yeah. is typical of a working class lifestyle. It's it's mm-hmm. another dependent on Dell. It's a reason why Dell has to go out and earn a living. Yeah, It, it builds that family bond. And, you know, as, in terms of comedy, his function is pretty deadpan and he'll drop in these... He He's not the comedy character, but then he'll drop in a deadpan line that gets a massive laugh right mm. at the end of the scene. He has a good line in anecdotes, doesn't he? He sort of tells these rambly stories. And and the joke yeah. is almost, what is Grandad on about? <laughs> you know, the anecdotes are rambly by design. 
There's one, I, I can't even remember what the anecdote was, but he ends it by saying, there's a moral to this story, but for the life of me, I can't find it. <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah, neither can I. Will you shut up? <laughs> I think that reaches its uh, sort of uh, end point in the, the in an episode in series three, I think it is, where they, they, he, he, they go to Spain and he gets arrested. And this is where he's telling about how he was a gunrunner during the Spanish oh God, Civil right, War. Okay. And it takes him 15 minutes to tell this story. <laughs> like to, to the point where Rodney says, is there any point in me making plans for my future or are we getting somewhere with this? Like, so they even build that into the comedy that they're sick of his rambling thing. Right. But it's funny that he, that's built into the character, but it's not there all the time. They'll just drop it in when they need it. I guess when they need to fill a bit of time. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe that's what it is, yeah. He's not a rambly character in a kind of everything he says doesn't get to the point. He does. He's there. He kind of serves whatever function they need him to. Yeah. But it is interesting. I, I we'll, we'll deal with this really the next time that we talk about Only Fools and Horses, but the difference that comes with Uncle Albert, mm-hmm. um, who is a much more energetic character yes, and is able to do a lot more physically, but, but also just lifts the energy. Grandad is a bit of an anchor, and I think he's supposed to be that. Like, he is the old generation who is stuck in this time and place. Yeah, You can believe that Del Boy would go emigrate to Australia and try and make his life there. Yeah. Rodney could get a perhaps a legitimate job as a bank clerk and and kind of get a bit more middle class. You know, it's, yes. these things are achievable. Granddad is he is rooted in that brick and mortar, and he is an anchor. Yeah. So that comes through in the character, and I think it does set a certain pace. You know, he's a slow character, and and, and the the show has to work to that pace sometimes. And it, and it's going to be very interesting. We'll I say we'll do this next time to look at how that changes. Yeah, because yes, basically what happened was Leonard Pierce died. Uh, they were filming series four. They just started filming the exterior location stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'd done like a couple of days of filming, and he had a heart attack. Was in hospital for a few days, and then died sort of a groundbreaking in sitcom history in that they didn't stop the show uh, they didn't even stop filming and delay the series they well they did for a few days but basically mm. what happened was they picked an episode from that was going to be later in the series and like okay granddad's not in this one too much we can write him out of this one quite easily let's do that yeah. one first got that in the can and then john sullivan wrote a funeral episode yeah episode two of the series is granddad has died and it's his funeral and it's a great episode. It's a great piece of writing because mm. it very respectfully and personally deals with this character death, but obviously they're dealing with the actor death as well. Sure. They filmed a funeral scene like a few days after they'd been to this guy's funeral. Right, okay. Everyone seems to say that this was a really close-knit group. They were family. You know, they treated each other as family in, in, the, in the show. You know, Ray Butt, John Sullivan, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, the actors. So they were genuinely touched. Those scenes of them at a funeral, is it's genuinely mm. emotional. And then in the same episode, deftly deals with grief, how different people mourn, and introduce a completely new character that yeah. is then going to be established for the rest of the show. So Uncle Albert comes to the funeral, presumably. Yeah, yeah. He comes to the funeral and never leaves. Yeah. It's a great piece of writing, just in terms of actual skilled writing, to deal with that situation. But he he turned it around in a couple of weeks, basically. <laughs> and to establish a new character who is f- going to fulfill the same purpose, but is totally different character. Yeah. So that the rest of series four, presumably that was all written. So it was rewritten th- yeah. to, for the new character. 
I wonder if, and I don't know if there's an, if you know the answer to this, I wonder how much was rewritten, if it was just put Grandad's line in Zane Uncle Albert's mouth, or more than that. They ba- I think that's basically what they did, but then there's a bit of change just because he is a different character yeah. and they could give him more. But no, the plots basically in this, the, were basically the same, yeah. It's remarkable. It is a remarkable piece of writing, but also just uh, a remarkable piece of sitcom because they're not afraid to just like, okay, look, no jokes for a couple of minutes because we're having some serious emotional moments. Yeah. But also, it's not something that is done to acknowledge a character's death in a show. It hadn't been done before. Certainly not as a consequence of, of an actual death. If an actor died, you might write them out in some mm. delicate way or replace the ca- actor. They they didn't want to replace the actor because they had you know it was too raw, it was too sure. personal. But the the show must go on, I suppose. There, mm. there didn't seem to be any talk of just well, let's just knock it on the head, let's not do it. So let's go back to our episode, I suppose. Sure. The Dell boy panicking. He has all these hooky watches and he's trying to hide them and he thinks he's got away with it. He thinks he's managed to hide all of these watches so she hasn't seen them. But then he realises Rodney's given one to her. Yes, and that's panic station. So Del boy comes up with a very clever ruse to throw a drink all over uh, <laughs> her watch. It's all a bit clumsy, uh, it, but it works fine. And this is, again, mm-hmm. it's this is physical comedy. It's not exactly, yeah. you know, falling on the ground, but it's really nice stuff. Um, and I think Nicholas Lindhurst does a pretty solid job in mm-hmm. all this as well. I don't. I, it's not someone I associate with physical comedy exactly, but his gangly frame just lends itself to a sort of humour. <laughs> I think Nicholas Lindhurst does good physical business. I think you know, just not not pratfalls, not physical comedy in that sense, that that big stuff. But yeah, just the way he walks, he looks a bit mm. dopey. The way he yeah. pulls faces, you know, he's, he's he uses his frame well. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I I heard something him saying in an interview, like he he was modeling after someone he knew, like some lad who he just never seemed to know what to do with his hands. And like that was his kind of starting <laughs> point for the physicality. It's like you can really see that. Right. Yeah. It's just like his 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 arms are too long, his and it, his his suit sleeves are always a bit too short <laughs> and all that. And he's just yeah. sort of looks gangly. <laughs> it it works, it all lends itself to this physical comedy. Well, why don't we look? We're, we're we're talking about Nicholas Lindhurst, so why don't we complete our three main actors here? And yeah, let's go a bit of background. Now, obviously, Nicholas Lindhurst significantly younger than David Jason, but I feel like I know more about what he'd done before than about yes. what David Jason had done before. Butterflies is the thing mm-hmm. that I think of his pre Only Fools and Horses career. But you give me the full chapter and verse, fill us in. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly what he was known for at the time, but he was a child actor. You know, he was acting when he was a, a young kid. Um, he was in a, an adaptation of Prince and the Pauper in 1976, I think it was, playing the lead, you know, the prince and the pauper. I found the seal and used it, not knowing what it was. Used it? How so? Be not afraid. How did you use the Great Seal of England? To crack nuts. (laughs) Can Can I tell you something that when I looked on IMDb that leapt out at me, which will mean nothing to you? He was in, he was in an adaptation of Heidi. I remember this being on children's television when I was a kid. 
I mean, he's certainly a good, solid child actor from what I've seen. I've watched a few clips of him doing stuff. But, you know, very sturdy actor. It's weird because you can tell it's him, you know. It's like his little face. He's still... Yeah. But, like, yeah. I think he hit a point where he was 13 and then he was, like, already, like, six foot two or whatever. And it was like, you can't really play little kids. <laughs> he ain't the child and actor he, anymore. He had that awkward kind of gangly face. But then he just embraced it. And, and really, it's kind of breakthrough in that sense uh, was going straight the uh, sequel to Porridge. Okay. In which you play, Fletcher comes out of prison and he has a teenage son, a 16 year old son or whatever he's supposed to be, played by Nicholas Lindhurst. How are you, son? How's it going, all right? I can't shake off this guitar. Ingrid, you see my extendable steel tape measure? Oh, do you really need it this moment, Raymond? No. What time is it? 10 2. Mm. I'm late then. <laughs> And in that, he is much more of the Rodney character than he is in Butterflies. He's, yeah. he's, I mean, in that, he's really very stereotypical kind of teenager. Oh, I don't know what's going on. But that's kind of more Rodney. Whereas Butterflies, which stars about six months after going straight, mm. he's a bit more peppy. He's got a bit more to him, a bit more middle yes. class, actually. Yes. Oh, boy. Either of those will do me. Just take your pick. Oh, I'll take Alison. She's got style. I'll take Joanne. She's got boobs. <laughs> I get bored of those. I mean, they're all right for a while, but I don't go for too much of them around the house. Certainly brighten up breakfast, though. <laughs> Even in Butterflies, because Butterflies started in uh, 78 through to 81, and then they did another series in 83. And it's weird because in 83, it's Rodney. He looks yeah, more like Rodney yeah. in that because he's an adult by that point. He's not a teenager anymore. And there seems to be a point in between, around 1982, sort of in between series two and three of um, Only Fools and Horses, where he does, well, as my grandma would say, get his man's face. Um, <laughs> like he, he sort of loses that little bit of sort of puppy boyishness. fat and, and, and yeah, boyishness. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, like, he is so young, because even in the first series of Only Fools and Horses, the character's 21. He was only, like, 19, I think. And I think it's there is a real maturity to him, as much as Rodney is an immature character. Nicholas Lindhurst, you know, I guess he was already a consummate professional, I suppose. But to be able to walk into a room with the likes of David Jason, who's twice your age, and not just be able to work together, but... Be, be peers and find the chemistry and apparently they you know they they got on really well as well nicholas lindhurst's career bears out he is a certainly a professional mm. comedy actor i think he does nice work in the sense that he's not overtly comic in the way that perhaps david jason ronnie barker is yeah but he's also not a straight man either i think you have to be a good actor to get away with that as well as just a good comedian that's a good point as, as you're as you're speaking there i'm thinking and you know, before and after, Nicholas Lindhurst has done lots and lots of sitcoms. But I don't think of him as a comedy actor. It's totally unfair. He is. Mm. He absolutely is. Yeah. I think of him as an actor rather than a funny guy. And, and yes, that is in a contrast to David Jason. I think of David Jason as a funny, character, a funny actor. Yeah. So back to our episode. And now, now Rodney takes... Uh, I've forgotten her name. Rodney takes his, his girlfriend back to her place this time, which seems more sensible. And then the worm turns and she real she reveals that she actually did spot all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, on the doorstep. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's a nice little scene, a new set. <laughs> a new yes, set this, yes, this the scene, lobby yeah. of, her, of her flat, which seems just a slightly more upmarket than theirs, but still not <laughs> yes, all that yeah. nice. No, no, she's a young police police person. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, it's not going to be a, a good wage or anything. What I do like about this, obviously she basically says, you know, look, I know all that stuff, Nick. I, I have to do my job. 
Uh, and he's like, well, come on, I bought you a Donner kebab. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like, I like that. that was his genuine defense. Like, what? I, 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 pay, I bought you a packet of cashews at the cinema. Come on. <laughs> and she's like, all right, look, I'll give you 24 hours to clean it out. And whether she realizes that the consequences of that is they're going to have to get rid of everything. Yes. <laughs> so, so now the conceit is that they've got to get rid of everything in the flat that's nicked in the next 24 hours. <laughs> Which is a lot more comprehensive removal than uh, than she might have thought. Well, yeah, because it's not just a couple of boxes. Del Boy says, like, half of this stuff's nicked and half of it isn't. I don't, I've forgotten what's what. <laughs> so they just have to clear the flat. But yeah, but, but even before that, I, I do like how um, she says all this to Rodney and she's like, okay, look, I'll give you 24 hours notice. And then he still goes, oh, could, could murder a coffee. He's yeah, still he's trying to he's, uh, He still thinks he might be in there. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, you plonker. <laughs> the optimism of youth. <laughs> we have a, a quite an interesting cut here from that scene where he's leaving her and he's talking to himself as if he's going to, how, oh, how am I going to explain this to Del? Oh, well, look, we've still got 24 hours. Cut to Del choking him, <laughs> which is an unusual televisual cut in sitcom. It's like the timing of that doesn't work to the live audience because... Nicholas Lindhurst has to walk onto the other set, get into place, and Del Boy puts his hands on his thing and, yeah. and go, okay, action. The comedy comes from the timing of the jump cut, and that's not going to Yeah, it doesn't work as a live performance, and that's not something you see a lot of in sitcom. Even when you, like in Faulty Towers, they really edited that down a lot to help mm. the timing. Yes. The, the live timing is still there. That jumped out at me, just as an unusual example. It's not something you see very often. Uh, yeah, and then we just have this little kind of epilogue scene of them clearing out the flat. And that's it. That's our episode. Yeah, that's a good example. It's a nice example of where they brush up against the world outside their world. Do you know, I'll tell you something we haven't really talked about, which we usually cover right at the beginning. We didn't talk about the theme tune. A very famous yes. couple of theme tunes for Only Fools and Horses. Obviously, the famous theme tune that we all know and love... It was not the original theme tune. Uh, the 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 show originally in series one had uh, a, a kind of jaunty saxophone <laughs> theme hmm. that was uh, composed by Ronnie Hazelhurst, who'd done loads of uh, BBC stuff. Um, in fact, it sounds like this. <laughs> It's weird because it, it doesn't really fit with the tone of the show. It's a bit too jaunty. And I think people generally accept that. Like, even the BBC execs were like, yeah, it doesn't really fit, does it? And so John Sullivan wrote uh, wrote the theme tune and... Uh, Did he, he sing the theme In his tune? way. He does, yes. That's a whole other story. But yes, he, he wrote the theme tune and then um, Hooky Street, the sort the of ending credits, theme... Yeah. Yeah, uh, it, it served a double purpose of it. it was a bit more in character with the show, mm -hmm. but also it explained the title, which we haven't really dealt with. Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, that's a good point. Because to us now, that means TV show. That means that, that sitcom yes. that everybody knows. But actually, it's a really clunky and awkward title that doesn't mean it's anything It's a terrible, to terrible name for a <laughs> television program. Yes, and then John Sullivan wanted to call it that because he liked this phrase, only fools and horses work. It was this yeah. phrase that he, he kind of liked. Uh, there's an episode of Citizen Smith called Only Fools and Horses uh, mm -hmm. prior to this. He wanted to call it that. And the executives were like, this is a crap title. We don't want it. And so he basically said, all right, what else have you got? And they were like, well, just stick stick with it, I suppose. <laughs> like, 
he put the onus on them to come up with something better and they were like but you said it was initially called readies when it was just a pilot script that was his working title yeah which makes more sense really doesn't it yeah that would that works better as an objectively as a as a sitcom name so yes, it's uh, the, the benefit of the theme song meant that it explained the title. They actually get the full phrase "Only fools and horses work." It's like okay, we get that. And John Sullivan's theory on it was that it's like a sarcastic remark on on Del Boy, who goes to so much effort to not have a job. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I mean he's working, he's grafting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I like that. I, I think the theme tune's great. I think it's one of those things that. You know, and I've obviously I've been watching this. I've heard, I've heard it about thirty times in the last few weeks. Uh, Alan, before you talk about the theme tune, look, can I just finish up the original theme tune? Now, but my question to you is, how long was that the theme tune of the show? Just the first series, and it was only it was after the first series that they had the time to kind of go, okay, well, let's do something else. These days, certainly in the DVD versions I've got, it's not on it, but mm. there's some older video versions that have the original theme tune on them, so it's out there. The actual sort of classic theme tune that we all know and love now, I think is very iconic. And I think we do all know it and probably all love it. But I, was, I wanted to ask you, in the song, there yeah. are several things listed that, oh were, that are on sale, I guess, are for sale. I just, I just wondered how much of this has permeated your consciousness. Obviously, you've heard it a couple okay, of times. Okay, right, gonna, hang on a sec. You got your half price something. <laughs> Debbie Bowie LPs. Yeah. Trevor Francis tracksuits from a mush in shepherd's bush. Yes, bush, bush, yes. Bush, bush, bush. But I've missed a few things there, haven't I? That's not bad. You got price. Few, yeah. I don't know what that is. Half price bum bum. I can't. I can't. I can't finish that sentence. Uh, we've got half priced cracked ice. Cracked ice. Yes. Go on. We've got some half price cracked ice and miles and miles of carpet tiles. TVs, deep freeze, Davy Bowie LPs, pool games, gold chains, what's her names, and at a push. Trevor Brook in track suits from Mush and Shepherd's Bush. Bush, Excellent. bush, bush. Well bush. done. <laughs> Excellent. Wow. First go as well. <laughs> hey, you know, we talked, like uh, that Trevor Francis reference is great. You know, we talked about that Bertie Smalls reference. That's yeah. very of its time, Trevor Francis. He also mentions he also they were talking about Chelsea in this episode, and uh, Del Boy says, "Ah, oh, yeah, you should never have sold Greavesy." <laughs> I don't <know> Greavesy. <laughs> Jack Greavesy was a footballer, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Trevor Francis, first million pound footballer, would have been very much mm-hmm. the big football news at that time. Just to to sort of come on to that, there's I don't feel like watching this that it is particularly set in its time. There's a, the odd references there and everything, but it doesn't feel that eighties, does it? I think it could have been ten years earlier, ten years later, maybe. I I, I know what you mean. I mean, you know, apart from those obvious cultural references from time to time. But this was my question earlier, which we haven't really answered. I'm not sure we're going to. You know, that idea of is this Thatcher's Britain? When we talked about bread, which was the second half of the 80s, that very much feels like Thatcher's Britain. Whereas this doesn't, because, you know, she'd only been Prime Minister for 18 months. It wasn't Thatcher's Britain yet. I think I think you're right. I think that this is just working class chances, villains, depending on which side <laughs> of the line you fall. And yeah, this is a story. And, and our constant references to Steptoe suggest it could have been told 10, 20 years ago. Mm. I think the later series... Del Boy gets a bit more yuppie-ish. Yes, with his file <laughs> and of I think yeah. I think it starts to feel a bit more 80s then, mm. but we'll we'll have to look at that in the future. But just to, to get back to the theme tune there, of course, yes, John Sullivan did sing it, uh, but he was not a singer by any means. You don't say. <laughs> and the original plan, or certainly what he wanted, was for Chaz and Dave to do it. 
because it is in the style of the Rockney style. There's a Johnny Spate connection there, isn't there? Because Chaz and Dave did the theme tune to uh, Till Death, Till Death Has Do Part. No, what was the sequel to Till Death Has Do Part? In sickness and health. In sickness and in health. I said, I don't. <laughs> that was Chaz and Dave. But that would have been after this, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah, that was mid eighties. Yeah. I think he wanted Chaz and Dave to do it, but just before this happened, they start. They had a couple of big hits and were suddenly a lot more uh, famous, and they went off and toured Australia. So when they got this offer to say, "Oh, we got a TV theme tune. It's all written. We just need you to sing it. Do you want to do it?" They were like, no, not really. You know, in hindsight, you know, it would have been nice to be. And they they do they do pop up later in Jolly Boy's outing with going down to Margate. Dan and Margate. (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely love Chaz and Dave. One of my guilty pleasures. (laughs) Uh, You know, they they couldn't get Chaz and Dave, so Ray Butt called John Sullivan and said, "Oh, come down to the studios. I've got a plan. We're going to work something out." He went he went down there and he says, "Oh, you're going to sing it." He was like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to sing it. I can't sing it. So he got him drunk and got him to sing it. And, that, and, that, and that's why we have the theme tune that we have. Excellent. Which is interesting. It's, it's an interesting side story of this. It's, again, very unusual. How did that come about? But... So did John Sullivan ever sing anything else? Like Dennis Waterman, you know, that's the joke. He wrote the theme <laughs> two and sing the theme two, and he sort of did that for several things. I don't think so. He doesn't seem to take any pride in his singing. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't. But I think he wrote the theme, he liked to write the theme tune. He wrote the theme tune to Citizen Smith as well, and uh, and Dear John, as we spoke about before. He, he, he obviously liked to write things. That He was a writer. <laughs> but um, sure. I think he kind of put the tune together in a kind of non-musical sense, in a kind of like, oh, here's what I want it to go like. Now I'm just imagining the Dear John theme song sung in that Cockney Barrow Boy voice. By the time you read these words, oh, I'll be gone. Be gone. <laughs> but it works. Lovely I think it it really does sum up the show a lot, uh, really nicely. And it, it has a, I guess it has a personal touch because it's John Sullivan. Stick a pony in me pocket I'll fetch the suitcase from the van Cause if you want but you don't ask questions then brother I'm your man So as we as we spoke about before David Jason was not an obvious fit for Del Boy uh, he was not the first choice either a couple mm. other people turned it down and famously Jim Broadbent uh, was offered the part ah, that's interesting I believe he was just unavailable rather than want to do it he was doing a Michael Lee play at the time but Jim Broadbent's in, in Only Fools and Horses isn't he he's a, a Slater a policeman that's right he's in a few episodes as D.I. Slater uh, including in this first The Granddad Years as we shall mm. call it uh, yeah, where he is introduced as a character and then they bring him back a couple of t- other times when they need yeah. a kind of uh, antagonist police guy. But I think it was originally written just as this one-off character. But by writing it in as someone who they knew when they were kids, it's the first time that we really start to talk about Boise, Trigger, Del Boy were kids together and grew up together as mm. opposed to just they've got to know each other as adults, which is starting to build more and more history which they come to rely on more and more as those characters come into it more and obviously they do a prequel ultimately but i think originally written they were just other people in the community and and it's it's sort of part of a deliberate attempt by john sullivan to increase the world and and create more of a world around Mm -hmm. the trotters so in the in the very last episode of series three not including the christmas special we introduce denzel and mike the landlord of the nags head world building yeah whereas mostly these characters come and go uh, just uh, as you need as you need them in one episode or whatever mm-hmm. 
So we'll deal with all that more later, which is why we haven't really talked about any of those guys. Of course. But we, it'd be nice to talk about Jim Broadbent uh, as, as Slater, right, just quickly. It, again, it is that very much engaging with the police. The fact that he's one of them, but then he went over to be a policeman, and he is just like the worst kind of person yeah. who would literally arrest his own father. Uh, so uh, and and is also quite unscrupulous. He's not a by the book copper who will do the right thing, but these guys are doing bad things, so he wants to arrest them. Yeah, he he's quite happy to frame people and to work. Uh, you know, the the on the other side of the law to to get what he wants. And you can see that. I mean, we saw this in in our episode that we've been discussing how Dell's got that level of fear of the police. Mm. You can see in his interactions with the Jim Broadbent character, there's fear there. Del yeah. really is scared of this guy. Yes, and 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 that adds to all that. Even though we've seen this, so in Long Legs of the Law comes way before that. When we know that one of his childhood friends has kind of screwed him over before, and yeah. then, like is you know when to keep your mouth shut and all that sort of thing. And, but yeah, it's a. I, I think Jim Broadbent is a really great drop-in actor. Like a, he's obviously a great actor, but a, in, in a great character here, brings some great life to that character. No surprise they brought him back. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a, a, a nice run in supporting characters in this show, but then also uh, quite a strong run in very forgettable and wooden performances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, even even in the Long Legs of the Law that we've been looking at today, the the woman who plays Sandra, the policewoman who I, whose name is not even coming to me on the top of my head, obviously she's not particularly famous. She's okay, but she's not particularly bringing anything to that role. Mm. And yeah. to be to be fair to her, I don't think John Sullivan is particularly cracked at this point of his career writing female characters. Yeah, there is certainly a dearth of female characters in general in Only Fools and Horses, yes. but certainly well written ones. Uh, again, the the antiques dealer uh, female character that we have is very kind of one dimensional, one dimensional character, posh, posh woman. Yeah, and it doesn't help that that episode. That episode is quite poor, in my opinion. The yeah. plot doesn't really hang together. Well, and... it'll be interesting to see when you know we know that in latest series, both Dell and Rodney get married and they you know they find love, and we get more female presence within the episodes. So it'll be interesting to talk about that next time. Right around series four, actually, uh, John Sullivan started writing Just Good Friends, uh, which obviously mm. has a, a prominent female character. I think that was a conscious effort for, by him to write a female character. So, yes, we will discuss that next time as well. A uh, little point of trivia, a little weird little trivia point here as well. Um, there is an episode, I think it's episode one of series three, it's called Homesick, and in that, just to connect back to a previous episode of ours, the two old women who live at the hotel in Faulty Towers, yeah. they both appear in this episode of Only Fools and Horses, both in the same episode, not together. I was going to say, are they connected to each other in engine bracket? <laughs> no, but they, they're basically both just kind of housewives who are knocking about the market and they ask Della a question separately, kind of in the same scene, but they're not together. Just a coincidence, I think, that there's two old lady actors that they brought in. How long after Faulty Towers would that have been? That would have been a few years after the second series. Right, 82. Okay. So, But then also in that same episode, there is uh, another character, just off, again, just in one scene, just a bit of a one-off character called Basil, which is obviously an unusual name. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. but um, maybe, that's, <laughs> uh, maybe that's a little in-joke. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't quite tell. Maybe it wasn't scripted as Basil, and they changed the name when they got <laughs> the actors together. Maybe. Well, shall we summarize our thoughts on Only Fools and Horses: The Grandad Years? Then, 
And it's obviously impossible, as we've said, you know, it's impossible to look at this without our knowledge of the later years as well. Yeah. But I, but for me, it was really interesting to look back at these six episodes across those first three series. As I said before, none of which were familiar to me. I'm not going to say I've never seen them, but I didn't remember them. It was great mm-hmm. to watch the interaction between these characters. And ultimately, it's funny. There's a lot of gags. There's a lot of well-written dialogue. You know, when Grandad's ill, Rodney says, we should take him to Lord's. And Delboy says, he don't even like cricket. Which is <laughs> just a funny joke. It's lovely stuff. <laughs> but, you know, like I said before, it was interesting watching this with uh, analytical eyes. They are villains. They are, Delboy is a criminal. There's no two ways about it. But ultimately, he's got heart and, and that charm does win us over. And that's why mm. we hold those characters in such affection, I think. Always when I like a sitcom, and usually when these are classic sitcoms, it's, it's the writing and acting. That's what sells it. It's, yeah. And obviously you've got other elements here. There's a great bit of set design and all that. But I think if the writing is solid and has some proper character-driven stuff, it, it gives it more than just, oh, this is going to be a bit of fun for half an hour. It gives it a bit of depth. And then if you have the actors who can portray that, but perhaps if you have that writing, you need the actors to portray that because... Otherwise, it just doesn't work. So I think I think that this has those ingredients. There's no doubt about it. I I, I got the box set of Only Fools and Horses and watched it all probably five years ago or something. And but before that, my knowledge of Only Fools and Horses was what I'd seen when I was growing up, which was the later years. Yeah. And it'll it'll be interesting to go back to them in the future, mm. but. I think by that point, and especially with my kind of natural contrarian attitude, it is just like, oh, this is this crap old sitcom that everyone thinks is great. And it's not. It's just some old men running around in Batman costumes. And obviously you go back to it. You go back to these first series and yeah, it is really good stuff. It's great. It is funny. Del Boy falling through the bar. It's funny. I've seen yeah. it a thousand times, and so it's funny. It, 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 it's still funny, but it is just a really good pratfall, and that is okay. That's enough in that moment. But yeah, I think it is certainly deserving of its place in sitcom, and it will be interesting to see if it devolves <laughs> or <laughs> if it if it grows as it gets older. I like quite like that we're breaking this up into this bit because I also think that this is a little bit raw. And, and kind of un, unformed mm. still yes. in these first few series. I think John Sullivan is still finding his feet and he's starting to write for the actors. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how all that shapes up, which we will do in another time, perhaps next series. I've got one last thing to finish us off. Mm-hmm. It's a quiz. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this Terrific. is a silly quiz. You know I love quiz. <laughs> now this is a, this is a silly little thing. Uh, the quiz is called Dell or No Dell. Okay. You see I what like I've it. done there? It's very I do clever. I like it. <laughs> so basically, I've got some quotes from the show, and you have to just tell me is it Del what said it, or is it not Del what said it? <laughs> Plume de Maton, Rodney. Plume de Maton. <laughs> well, I've tried not to make it too obvious. <laughs> okay, so I'll read you out some lines. Go on. And you tell me is it Del? You know what? It's only E type Jaguars and Sebastian Co. that make me feel proud to be British these days. I, do you know what? I, you sent me a clip and I, I watched this yesterday and it was Boise that said that. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> so no doubt. Okay. <clears throat> it's at moments like this I wish I carried an emergency capsule of Brute around with me. <sighs> you see, I, no, I don't think of Del Boy as a Brute guy. I think that's Rodney, isn't it? <laughs> no Del. That was Del. Oh. <laughs> I believe that's when, it, you know, his, his ex-girlfriend turns up and he's like suddenly caught up. I see. 
I'd have thought of Dell as an old Spice guy. <laughs> okay, uh, what about this one? Look at that view, eh? On a clear day, you can see the ground. <laughs> no Dell. That's granddad, isn't it? No, that was Rodney, but oh! it wasn't Dell. Well done. <laughs> but yeah, he's moaning about living in a tower block. Uh, okay. A losing streak is like joining the Moonies. Easy to get into, but a bark to get out of. I think that's Dell. That is Trigger. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm afraid. In the episode where uh, it has the poker game in it, quite a well-known episode. Um, <clears throat> that's the mentality of your spoon-fed student type. They walk round all day with Steve Bilko written on the t-shirt, spouting about humanity. When it comes to a fight over a torn fiver, they make Genghis Khan look like a pacifist. Yeah, that's Dell. That must be Dell. <laughs> that is Dell talking about Rodney, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Interesting, though, didn't really talk about that, but Rodney in the first series is a lot more sort of Citizen Smith kind of right mm-hmm. on, kind of, it's certainly in his dress as well, and yes. he becomes a bit more of a proto-Dell, I'm going to get into the business kind of thing later on. There is a bit of character development with Rodney, which works really naturally as a kind of Rodney's development, uh, because he's at that age. Just that just comes with like what are you writing and mm-hmm. how is yeah. it working with this story and you just develop as you go along. Yeah, let's see what else I've got here. Um, oh dear, what's up with you? You look like you've had a promise from a liar. I, I don't don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say Dell because he does sometimes say some odd things. Yeah, it's not. It's Boise again. I think Boise's the most Dell-like <laughs> character in terms of the way he speaks. Do you know there was? I wrote this. Here's a quote I wrote down from the episode, the Long Legs of the Law episode. Dell Boy says he's talking about Rodney when he's annoyed with him. He says, "One day I'll smack him in the mouth." And Granddad says, "Yeah, if you can find it." I thought, well, what, "What does that mean? <laughs> you can find his mouth. Yeah. It's right there." <laughs> does that mean he's like talking out the side of his face? Or, I, I, I didn't just. It didn't make any sense to me. There's a couple of times where I thought. <clears throat> is that some East End patois that I don't get? There's definitely a few little yeah, uh, slang words. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what he's going on about there. <laughs> uh, okay, what about this one? Uh, it's a well-known fact that 90% of all foreign tourists come from abroad. Uh, I'd say no, Dell. I think that's Grandad. That's Dell. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not very good at this. No. <laughs> uh, okay. You know that rich bird what he's been seeing lately? Her with the nose? Well, she's just giving the old Evo. Is that? See, I think that's Grandad as well. That's Grandad. Yes. Oh, thank you, thank you. Good. <laughs> uh, okay, one more. I'm not a poet. I can't do all that lovey-dovey stuff. I feel things, but when I try to say them, they always come out Wally-ish. See, Wally is the word Del calls Rodney a Wally all the time. Yeah. So is that right? No, I think that is Del. That's Del owning his Wally-ishness. That is indeed Del. In yes. an episode where he is falling in love with a, a lady, which he does a few times. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's it. That's it. You did all right there, I think. Maybe. <laughs> Don't patronize Half of me. them. <laughs> uh, yes, that is uh, the, the early years, the granddad years of Only Fools and Horses. Done. Stamp. Cushy. Thank you for listening, and we will revisit Only Fools and Horses again at some point in the future. In the meantime, you can carry on listening to all our other episodes, and please do follow us on the social media. That is at BritcomPod on Twitter and Instagram. And do rate and review us on iTunes if you enjoy the show, because it helps us spread it to a wider audience. 
And don't forget, you can check out our YouTube channel, British Sitcom History, where we have all the podcasts with some video accompaniments and also other videos looking at sitcom content. Thank you very much. See you next time.